I believe that every single person on this planet has a unique perspective based on the unique life and their voice is worth hearing. If someone listens and is impacted by what you say, then you have an audience. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to take a deep dive into how you can optimize your LinkedIn profile. Now, if you are a nonfiction author or even a fiction author, really, and you want to be seen and found, especially in the business world, LinkedIn is still a incredible platform to make powerful connections. And there are so many different ways to approach it and so many different potential tools available there. I don't know about you, but I find it overwhelming. And so I invited today a very special guest who is going to help demystify some of this for us. Now, Andrea T. Edwards, CSP, coins her title as the Digital Conversationalist. And she is a globally award-winning B2B communications professional who works with the world's largest companies on the transformations that they need to make within to maximize business growth in our digital society. A change agent, provocateur, author, professional speaker, and social leader, Andrea is all about helping businesses understand how they can empower employees to delight customers grow personal career opportunities, and build brand success. Now, Andrea's current book is called Uncommon Courage, An Invitation, which is a deeper reflection on life and makes an invitation to embrace courage. But really, the reason I had Andrea on our show is to talk about some of the tips and tools she shares in her first book, 18 Steps to an All-Star LinkedIn Profile. Now, that book is on two book of book authorities listings as the one among the 100 best LinkedIn books of all time and the 22 best new LinkedIn ebooks to read in both 2021 and 2022. And Andrea, as you are about to hear, has been incredibly generous with sharing some of her special sauce, if you will, as to ideas for how to optimize your LinkedIn profile. And I'm going to tell you, I am already at work implementing many of them. So enjoy. So Andrea, welcome to the Author's Corner. So happy to be here. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Yes, me as well. And you know, because when I saw that you are an expert on (laughs) helping people to optimize their LinkedIn, I just thought this is such a wonderful topic for our listeners. Because First of all, if you're writing a business book, right? I mean, you know, LinkedIn is the business universe online. And so if you want to be found in business, you want to be findable on LinkedIn. And really, no matter what you're in, right? And no matter what your book is about, 
I think that having a really effective LinkedIn profile could be a wonderful asset to any author platform. So let's start by telling us a little bit about how did you figure out, how did you decode the, <laughs> the LinkedIn profile? Uh, I think it was more about how I decoded social media. So I'm Australian. I'm living in Phuket in Thailand. And I left Australia in 1995. Then I went to London, Boston, New York, back to Australia, then to Singapore, then to Phuket, then back to Australia, then back to Singapore and back to Phuket. So I've been on the road for a long time. And my children were born in 2006 and 2008, really just when Facebook in particular was taking off. And I'd had a LinkedIn profile, but it wasn't a content platform at the time. It really was the recruitment. You know, that's where you go to sort of get your profile looking good for a job hunter. But and then it sort of became so it merged into this content platform at the same time that I was really starting to talk about content marketing in Asia, right? And content marketing. So I went, my background's PR, marketing, and then it sort of merged into content marketing. And you know, if you're going to have a great profile, you've got to be able to tell great stories and build great content. So for me, it's about social media was always about the grandparents are watching my children grow up online because we're living in different <laughs> countries. So English grandparents and Australian grandparents. But it was more than that. To me, social media is so powerful from a, you know, I know all the negative things about social media and, you know, I'm very aware of everything that's wrong with it. But it's such a powerful communication to get your voice out there and your story out there and the message that you want to put out there into the world. So really just following the journey of LinkedIn as it evolved over the last couple of years, well, last decade, was a real pleasure for me because I love it. I love being on LinkedIn. It's different. I mean, you know, we're seeing some behaviors on LinkedIn that is very similar to other platforms these days, but the opportunity for everyone to have a powerful voice on LinkedIn, it opens up doors that you don't even know open to you at the moment. So doing a good job on LinkedIn is very important. Yeah. So give me an example of like the kinds of doors that maybe people wouldn't be aware of that you've seen open up or for yourself or for others. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, I've been one of my clients tend to be B2B companies and big global companies because I like to work at scale because mm -hmm. if I can influence a thousand employees in an organization to go out there and have a voice on social media, the real impact can be seen when there's so many people doing it, right? So from senior leadership to technical salespeople, salespeople, marketing people, HR, all roles, I've watched so many people flourish. And the key thing is to have a topic that you want to be known for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found with big organizations, they want to talk about the customer, what the customer challenge and over help them overcome the challenge. It's not about talking about what you sell. It's about talking about the problem that you solve. Or they mm -hmm. want to talk about leadership if they're leaders and how to be a better leader and the challenges of leadership. And, or they want to talk about their job role. So if they're a really great salesperson, they want to share their sales tips and techniques to help other people. And there's another group of people that they want to talk about mindfulness and meditation or spirituality or their foodie bloggers or, you mm -hmm. know, or one lady that was working in a bank. Her passion is being a voice out there to tackle sexual slavery in the world. You know, uh -huh. which is a really interesting sort of combination if you think about it. And people, I've watched people get promoted more than once in a year. I've watched them get headhunted to much better roles, bigger roles. And the people who really stick All right. with it. Hang on. Okay. Wait. I don't mean to interrupt, but. That's right. <laughs> so you're saying like an HR director could be writing about ending sex trafficking and that could somehow make them findable and, you know, like lead to other people seeing 
not just what they do, but who they are, that then leads to new opportunities. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the sex trafficker, I can't tell you the story of success there. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, I mean, I've watched it time and time again. You know, one of the guys I worked with, I really, really enjoyed working with him. His son is now on the way to becoming a superstar guitar player. And he wrote a leadership blog that was talking about how his son eclipsed him as a musician. And that led to three new customer meetings. Wow. Because... People really kind of liked him, you know, they dug him. And that's what we're here to do for in business, to attract people to us. But we've got to be there with a meaningful presence. You know, so I always say you've got to have a mindset of service. You're serving an audience. So it's always about delivering value. It's not about you. It's social media, not broadcast media. So put the megaphone. (laughs) (laughs) You can brag about yourself every now and again, sure, if you need to, and your mum will love that, right? But um, And that's part of a professional journey, but a lot of people only do that. They only talk about themselves and their achievements and Mm -hmm. people aren't into it. So it's about serving your audience, whoever that is, whoever's relevant to you. It's about being a giver. So I call it being part of the giving economy. So you spend as much of your time raising other people on social media, on LinkedIn, you know, You'll give a reference to somebody who's junior to you because they've done a really great job and that means a lot to them and it gives them a boost. Or you comment on and you share their blog or their podcast or their videos and you give to your community and everyone rises together. But it's also about participating with deep integrity because everyone knows, like when you're not acting from a place of integrity, everyone knows when you're being inauthentic, you know. So it's just really about showing up as who you are and being really passionate about why you're there. You know, I always say to people, you've got to be deeply intentional and purposeful in your participation. You're there for a reason. It's not a show. It's about driving change. And it could be educating people, inspiring people, or even making people laugh because we all need to laugh these days, right? So there's a lot of different ways to participate, but really being anchored in something meaningful will definitely open doors. And, you know, for me personally, I, I have people reaching out years after. I've been watching what you've been doing on LinkedIn for five years. And I'm like, wow, really? I've never seen seen you comment. You haven't even liked something I've done. No, no, I've been reading everything you've been doing. And so sometimes people get caught up in the metrics. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, don't worry about the metrics because the people who are paying attention are paying attention, you know, and consistency showing up year after year. I've been doing it more than a decade, you know, and just keep going because I believe in it. And that gives you your power too. Yeah. So, gosh, there's just so much in what you're saying that (laughs) I now have like 60 questions that are trying to decide what to ask first. So I think I want to dig a little deeper into like bringing your personal experience into your LinkedIn posting, because I think that one thing that stopped me in the past is thinking, well, nobody wants to know about my, you know, hobby as a lead singer in a cover band, you know, like that's not my primary thing. Right. So how do you think about those kinds of things? What would be a more effective way to think about where your personal life intersects with what you want to share with your audience? I think there's always a a line that you don't share, you know, and there's always parts of yourself that you keep. I'd be interested in you being a lead singer in a cover band (laughs) because my early life I was a musician and I'd find find that cool, right? But is it necessary or is that a Facebook sort of profile or Instagram sort of thing, you know? So, You've got to sit there and you, I mean, it's all about your audience. Who is your audience? So if that's not, because there's a lot of senior leaders who are sitting there going, what the hell is going on on LinkedIn? And it's turning them off participating. Uh And some people are getting too personal 
Mm. But, you know, that's up to them and that's okay. Like, I, I got no judgment. Some people are religious. Some people are political. I don't mind what people do. I just go past anything that I don't – it just doesn't resonate with me, right? Because it's if it doesn't resonate with me, it's not designed for me. There's a little bit of on all social media where reacting too much to the stuff that we don't like and we just need to go past it. But for all of us, we've got to think about – you know, I talk a lot about the climate crisis on LinkedIn now. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking a lot about it for a long time, but more recently I've been a lot more heavy on the topic because to me – the future of our planet is a really, really, really important topic. And if we think it's going to be business as usual outside of this pandemic, and, you know, in America, I don't think people are paying attention to this crisis anywhere near with the level that they need to and understand the changes of behaviour that are required from all of us who are living or come from wealthy countries, that potentially could be turning off some of my traditional audience, but at the same time, it's too important for me to not talk about it. So I've made the decision to do it. But there's things, you know, I'd never share about my kids on LinkedIn. Why would I? But if there was a relevant reason to do it, I would, but it has to be relevant to what I'm there to do. So it's just all about just being really focused on what's relevant to you and the message that you want to get across and the audience that you want to reach. And some of the more personal stuff, you know, just really ask yourself, should it be here? Mm -hmm. Um, Like the other day I saw a fantastic blog from a, I think this guy is like the global director of mental health for KPMG. And he wrote this incredible blog about his depression journey. Mm. And, you know, people would say, well, that's too personal. Well, we've got a mental health challenge in the world. And I think if anyone can talk about mental health from experienced it, got through it, what they learned, or any professional that can help people, they're going to be up there on LinkedIn talking about it. So to me, LinkedIn is talk about the things that matter to the community and who's in the professional community, people. So, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about that because it's LinkedIn. I'm like, why not? There's people at the end of this, you know, talking about yoga or mindfulness. It's not my topics, but people like to talk about it. That's important to all of us, no matter what we do. So you just got to think about it within the context of the audience always. Yeah, and I can see how sharing something that's not just so on the nose with your topic of your book or, you know, what your business's primary work is, but that gives you an opportunity to connect with people on a more human level. Yeah. So that then they feel like they have a more three-dimensional picture of who you are and maybe find another connection point with who you are that may or may not lead to a connection with your work. Yeah. People buy from people, right? Yeah. And we've been talking about that for a really long time, but we still always seem to want to put these rules and barricades around us within the professional context. And mm-hmm. like I said, not everything is appropriate that we see yeah, going yeah. on. But if it's appropriate for their audience and their audiences on LinkedIn, then go for your life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think too many people are getting too head up about what everybody else is doing and we should just be stopping and focusing on what we need to do and being a voice in the world because we need people to step into their voice. And, you know, I always say that the bad actors on social media, on all of the social media platforms, they've got an outsized presence compared to the rest of us. Yeah, And it's because so many of the good people are stepping back, especially LinkedIn. They just can't stand it. And when I run my social leadership training, it's all about you've got to be the person that you want to see on LinkedIn rather than stepping away and not participating because you don't like how everybody else is acting. Eventually, if enough of us do it, we might actually change how people participate. (laughs) 
I've been sharing that message for a long time. I'm still going. (laughs) (laughs) You're uh, pushing against the tide, but keep pushing. All right. So let's talk about the LinkedIn profile because, man, talk about stuff that's all over the map. Like if you're looking to figure out how to do a great LinkedIn profile by looking at other profiles, you know, You probably will never get there, right? So, <laughs> do you really find it that confusing? Not to me. It's just so easy. It's no, just I mean, step. I just, but I just like you know, it's interesting to me because there's, it seems like there's a couple of different places to kind of add certain things to your profile, where it's like the different places to add testimonials or endorsements. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, it's just, it is a little bit of a confusing thing for me. But I have to admit, I haven't spent a lot of time trying to figure it out because duty calls. But this is why we have you. <laughs> because I have a I'm pretty sure our listeners also are not spending a whole lot of time trying to figure it out for themselves. <laughs> well I published um, my first book that I published myself with the ones before that were with other contributors. It's called 18 Steps to an All-Star LinkedIn profile. And it was the document that I was giving out to my clients when I was running my social leadership courses. And then one day I went, that's a bit stupid. I should publish it as a book. So I published it a couple of years ago and probably by the time this goes live, the 2022 edition will finally be published. And it is literally step-by-step through the book. And it talks about things like, you know, there's all this basic stuff, a unique web address on LinkedIn. So if you go to your profile and you look at the web address, if it's got all sorts of numbers and characters and dashes and stuff, you haven't got your unique address, right? Simple stuff like that. The majority of people miss that. I have my Andrea T. Edwards is my social media handle everywhere I can possibly use it mm. because that's the one I got on LinkedIn. So it became my professional handle. So it's mm. on Twitter and stuff, right? It looks more professional. You can put it on business cards. You can put it in your email. It just looks clean. Visuals. Visuals are a huge part of LinkedIn. And uh, so from the banner to your photo, you know, still people don't have great photos, you know, or they're in the mum's kitchen. You know, it's like, come on, just put a little bit. It doesn't take much. Just or no photo at all and like the title is you know sometimes they have a high level title and no photo and i'm like what (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. it shocks me but like the first thing underneath your name is your title and it can be your job or it can be words that describe what you deliver to the world so i always encourage people to use that little tiny storytelling space and there's all these new things now you can have top five hashtags you can have all sorts of things, but there's a featured section. So always making sure that you're changing your featured section because people scroll down. It's the first thing they see. So your blogs, your podcasts, videos, when you're a guest on other people's shows, whatever you're doing, always be constantly updating that. And then throughout your career history, making sure that you're putting visuals in there. It's a bit harder as you get older because I don't have that many photos from some of my earlier jobs, but yeah. And then your achievements, you know, where you went to university. Wait, 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 back up, back up. (laughs) So what is this putting pictures with? Yeah, you can put photos, links with every single job that you have on your profile. You can? Yeah, you can turn it into a visual. Uh, I didn't and, know and that. <laughs> 63% of the world learn visually. So every opportunity you've got to put visuals into anything that you do and be updating them, be changing them, be, you know, and make them stunning. And you don't have to spend a lot of money. You can go to sites like Fiverr and get things done really cheaply or go to oh, Canva. So you, know? so you don't just mean, like, give me an example of a photo that you would attach to a previous job. Would it be like you in action or would it be 
like something that's more composed? I'm just... So when I was working for Microsoft on the communications team, I ran this huge event that took a lot out of me. And there was a lot of professional photography out of that. So I put a lot of the photography of what happened at that moment because it was such an important moment for me personally, but I also like to bring other people into my story. For those of you speaking on stage, you can do links to YouTube channels, to podcasts. So, I mean, the links are the best opportunity these days. The articles that you publish on LinkedIn, the posts you put on LinkedIn. So there's lots and lots and lots of opportunities. But photography, like if you're working for a company and you're on a team event, that's a great photo to put up on your profile with that job, you know, because it shows you're part of a team. So, yeah, just thinking about the visual side, it really brings your profile to life. I didn't even know that you could add photos to a description of a former position. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> there you go. You're one lesson this morning. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The wheels are churning. I'm going to be definitely listening to this again next time with my notebook and pen out. <laughs> so, all right. So that's fascinating. So what would you say is the biggest mistake that people make with their LinkedIn profile? That's like, either the most common or the most costly or both? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is there's just such a huge amount of people that still don't take it seriously. They don't contribute. They don't take part. They're not sharing anything. They don't think they've got any value to share. You know, there's all of that going on. And it's a platform for you to be involved in a community where you can share your insights and learn from other people. The other thing that people miss is they treat it as a broadcast platform, like I said earlier. And I always say the most important thing you should spend your time doing is engaging in conversations with other people's posts. So mm. talking to other people, even if you disagree with other people, respectfully saying, you know, I think it's a really great point, but what do you think about this? And that's how you start a conversation. That's why my brand is the digital conversationalist, right? So, you know, really, really engaging in the conversation and also just watching what goes on. I spend a lot of time on Twitter and LinkedIn and everywhere Going through the conversations, like on Twitter, there'll be a thread and I'll go down deep into this thread just because I'm interested in what other people have got to say, especially if I disagree with them. I want to know the words that they're using. I want to know what they think. I want to know why they think what they think. And social media isn't a place for an argument. So don't waste your time doing that because it's just completely pointless. And don't argue with people you don't know because it's completely even more pointless. If you yeah. don't know where someone comes from, how much effort they're putting to what the opinion that they're sharing if they're just spouting off with no real context, they're not even worth, don't, don't worry about the yeah. trolls. They're everywhere. Thankfully, they're not too bad on LinkedIn. But yeah, engaging in conversation, but just do the basics. Make it look good. You know, it's, it's a place that, like no photo. If someone asks me to be a friend and there's no photo, well, I'm like, why would I? You're not on LinkedIn. It's <laughs> obvious, right? Yeah, so those sort of basic things, but just get involved. Share yeah. one thing a week. You know, when you're reading something that just makes you go, wow, what an amazing point of view, take the action to share it on LinkedIn. Mm. That's all I ever did at the beginning was I used to fax when I turned up in London in 1995. I used to fax one of my mates in Sydney articles that I was reading in the paper because I thought he'd be interested in them. So I love sharing knowledge, right? Not just my own, others. So it's a natural place for me. It's a natural world for me. So it's not natural for everybody else. But you know, so many silly things hold people back and sense of self is a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. What do you mean by that sense of self? Just lack of confidence in themselves, not thinking they've got something to deliver, not something they've got something, they don't think they've got something of value, that what they say doesn't really matter. And this is from the top of organisations all the way down. Right. 
why would anyone care what I've got to say is a common response. And I believe that every single person on this planet has a unique perspective based on the unique life that they've lived and their voice is worth hearing. So just believing in yourself. If someone listens to what you say and is impacted by what you say, then you have an audience. Because if one person responds in this conversation with people, if one person goes, wow, that's really amazing, thank you for sharing that, just that one person tells you there's an audience out there that can hear what you've got to say. So mm -hmm. self-beliefs definitely holds a lot of people back. Yeah. So I'm curious because you've been the author of multiple books. So can you give us some examples of effective ways of sharing about your book on LinkedIn and then some ineffective ways of sharing about your book on LinkedIn? Yeah. It's a really hard one, right? Because if you're not an egotistical kind of person and your preferred style is humility, I, I find a lot of the marketing side very, very uncomfortable. I'm naturally very understated. But when I published my second book, Uncommon Courage, I was like, I shared it a little bit more because the book was much more personal, more conversations with people. So if you're like me and you find it uncomfortable, bring people into the story with you. So all of the people that did the early reviews for the book, I got them designed into artwork, sent them out to them, but then I shared them. And it gave me an opportunity to praise those people because I was much more comfortable doing that than talking about myself, right? So you're bringing anyone who's involved in your book, bring them into the story with you and create really fantastic artwork. But it's a community collaboration, getting a book out there into the world successfully. Some people, I watch people doing stuff that I, I just can't do it and I admire them for doing it. But blogging a lot obviously is a big part of what I've been doing over many, many, many years. And, you know, just talking a lot about what I'm doing, talking about my latest book, it's purple and it looks like it's just out of reach, but it looks like it's got a whole bunch of testicles on the front cover, but it's not. <laughs> it's upside down. It's upside down love hearts. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I knew it could also look like that, which is kind of part of my sense. Um, the concept is it's armor of love, you know, and uh, that was the message. So I did a blog where I talked about the inspiration for the cover. And then just really encouraging your community that support you to get out there and talk about it as well. And that's often the hardest thing to do because people don't understand their role in helping you succeed as an author. Again, they don't think it's important. They don't think you care. And you're sitting there, you're publishing a book, especially in a pandemic. You never have a chance to see anyone. You know, I can't get on planes and go where all my friends are. So I don't have a chance to talk to anyone about the book. So unless they ring me and talk to me or share something on social media, which is obviously the preferred path i want to talk to them too but get it on social media and yeah. it's just not natural for them so it's very difficult try not to rely on your friends to be that voice for you because a lot of people just they just don't get it they really struggle with it and you've got to either really explain it to them or you've just got to work out ways to get out there and do it by yourself but you should be talking about your book long before you publish it long 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 and not necessarily directly you can talk about it inadvertently but you should be just be having an active presence over a long period of time. And by the time you get a book out, it should already be able to stand on its own two feet without mm. all of that extra help. So I guarantee you most authors aren't doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did a lot in the build-up to this more recent one because it's a very, very, very complicated book. It's 480 pages. It's a big, wow. big book, yeah. But it's like some of the – so it's 108 sort of wisdoms of, from my life, right? And, you know, some of them are half a page and some of them are 16 pages. So yeah, yeah. how do you put a book like that together? <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
because it goes in so many, I mean, it's seven core topics that go across it all. And in the end, a, a musical friend of mine said to me, you've got to give it rhythm. So I came up with a waltz. So it's long, short, short, long, short, short, all the way, all the way through it. Uh, that, and that, that appealed to my musical sort of background too, right? Okay. I love it. <laughs> I wanted to circle back just a little bit because one of the things you talked about was posting articles or blogging. <clears throat> and I wanted to ask you, because I've heard that actually writing the article directly into LinkedIn treats it more favorably than if you put the link to your blog on LinkedIn. So can you explain that a little bit for us to understand? And I'll have a follow-up question, but let's understand it first. I did a bunch of research on, you know, the SEO implications of doing that. And lots of people have got lots of different opinions, but I have never found any way that you're punished for publishing blog in multiple places. So I always publish my blogs on LinkedIn and on my website. I will promote the one on LinkedIn because there's public information in the blog that you don't get from your own website, right? So you can get a sense of how the blog is doing on the platform, whereas on your website, it's just a different way of measuring it. But the most important reason to publish your blogs on LinkedIn is they then become part of your profile. Mm. So when people come and find you, the first thing they're not going to do is go to your website. Right. People stay where they are. You know, right. it's, and in order to earn the right to go to your website, you've got to be consistently producing good information. So I now have a thing which I call the weekend reads. So every Saturday I publish everything I read and watch over a week as a whole series of links. And it's a way to keep people up to date with what's going on in the world because that's really important to me. And I think knowledge is important and that we should be spending time with information that matters versus the fluff. I publish that on my website only and I link it to LinkedIn. Oh, so that, cool. that's a blog that I do just for my site. That was a long time building up to that. And then I needed to find a unique way to publish on my website that I couldn't, shouldn't also be doing on LinkedIn. So it's just a different way of thinking, but I do think it's important. I always encourage everyone, if you're publishing it on LinkedIn, publish it on your website and vice versa, because mm. you don't own LinkedIn. You should never put all of your content there. Right, right. So you could... But not just like put the link to the blog that goes back to the website. You would actually add that text into the article yep. thing on LinkedIn. But you can also have the same content on your website. I've seen some very, very senior leaders do like the first couple of paragraphs and then there's a link to the blog. Hmm. And then I started to see some not so senior leaders trying the same thing. And I'm just like, no, it's not how it works. Mm -hmm. You've got to earn the right to that. And our senior yeah. CEO at a company has earned the right to that. Most of us haven't. So right, right, just yeah. everyone's playing these games, right? Oh, I'm right. driving to my website. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, they can find your website if they exactly. really want to go. Yeah. Do a good job, you know, be of value, and eventually you will earn the, earn the right to that. And that, to me, I would prefer to participate in that way because it's got more integrity in my mind than be constantly having this mission to drive people somewhere else so that they can do this because it's like yeah. not how the world works as far as I'm concerned. It's annoying and I don't yeah. like to annoy people if I can avoid it. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's also something to be said for, you know, you don't necessarily need everyone on LinkedIn coming to your website. You yeah. want the people who are the most interested in what you have in what you're offering, what you have to say to make that transition. You don't need everyone to go. It's not a numbers game. 
It's a quality yeah. game. Right. And we're too focused on the numbers and not on the quality. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got 10 ideal customers and say the HR person in those company is the people that you want to influence, as long as all 10 of those people are keeping an eye on what you're doing, then you're already doing a good job. I don't care if a million people have a look because <laughs> the yeah. 10 I want are looking, you know. And so it's not a numbers game. And if you want to be in the numbers game, go for it, you know, the Gary Vs and all those sort of guys, go for it, you know. But then yeah. you've also got to be willing to attract the other side that comes with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just seeing a Simon Sinek post that probably one of his worst, and he, he does these little, you know, two-line wisdoms on LinkedIn. And I noticed one of my friends was jumping on every time and just criticising what he was saying. And I, I was kind of looking at his post. He's going, yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, I expect better from Simon. But, you know, he's got a profile now where – how he participates, those sort of criticisms and attacks can come. Mm-hmm. So he's got to make a choice. Am I going to be more mindful about what I'm putting out there? Or am I happy with this loose little fluffy stuff? You know? mm-hmm. And that's a decision. And mm-hmm. if he's happy with it, but he's also got to accept the negative that comes along. And mm-hmm. I'd prefer not to attract negative if I could. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself in a conflict of wanting to say something that you think is important, but knowing you probably are going to attract some negative reaction? I've had, I've had all sorts of weird troll experiences over the years. One of the benefits of having a communications background is it's all about working out how to say things in the way that the majority of people are, will be willing to listen to it. Mm-hmm. So no one's ever perfect, but I think I'm good at talking about very, very complex things in a way that is I'm not saying I'm the only person that knows the answer to this question. I'm saying this is what I'm thinking about this, but I know that there's other points of view. I would welcome hearing those other points of view. So spending that extra time really thinking about how you position what you're saying I think is important, but you can also be a person that likes that fire that comes, and I know lots of people do. I don't want the fire because the fire is irrational. I'd rather have a rational conversation because I actually, I'm interested in your point of view if it's different to mine. I really am. And I hope that you're interested in my point of view that's different to yours so that we can actually learn from each other because that's a good thing. You know, being in opposition to each other isn't necessarily a bad thing, but we live in a world where it is a bad thing, right? So I suppose trying to be a role model in that way too, that you can disagree without being horrible to each other. Right. (laughs) It's a sad commentary that we've come to the point where that's like a special quality. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah, our world. I'm a bit worried about us. Anyway. (laughs) So, okay. So this is, um, God, I cannot believe how quickly this time has gone. So I guess let me go to my quintessential final question because we could probably riff on it for a while. What is the question I didn't ask you that you would love to answer? So I was thinking you were going to be talking all about books and we haven't really talked about books. So how about we finish with a question? I think the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth writing a book? Mm. Have you heard that one before in the past? You know, I don't think it's a direct question. So, yeah, I'd love to hear your answer. All right. I was shocked by how much credibility my first book gave me from – people who had seen me for many, many years do many things, but for some reason in their mind, the publishing of a book was more meaningful than anything else that I'd done before that. And I recommend to my communities in Asia, if you've got a book and you write a book, 
it elevates you in a way you can't even explain it. It's it's a credibility that you can't understand it until you've actually done it. So if you've got a book in you, get the book out of you. And don't be like me where you're walking around with the book for years, giving it away for free until you finally work out. Maybe you should publish it as a book. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> yeah, and I think that what you're alluding to is something that is so important for people to understand, and it actually goes back to what we were just talking about, which is yeah. – it's not always a quantity issue. Like I think people make the mistake of focusing on, well, how many books are you selling? Which is important, especially if you have a book deal like with a traditional publishing house. It's especially important. But I think the bigger question and the one that is more relevant to most authors is to whom are you selling? Who has your book? Because literally, if the right one to 10 people get your book and are moved by it, it could change your life. Yeah, absolutely. And always make sure you're participating on social media long before you publish a book. Mm -hmm. Build your profile and build it beyond your community. You know, that's really important. Other people outside that, you know, the people who love you, people who care about you or admire you, respect you, they've worked with you, whatever it is. You've got to get outside of that community. and. Another really important lesson from a global perspective is Americans still read books and Americans still buy books. Yes. The rest of the world, um, India, definitely it's a huge market, but you've got to, you've got to price your book down very, very cheap to make it affordable mm-hmm. in India. But so many people don't read books anymore. But in America, they still read books and mm-hmm. they buy books. So making sure that America's on your agenda, especially from a marketing perspective, definitely important if you want to get out there and get some success with your books. You know, it occurs to me, there's one other question I wanted to ask you earlier, which is because I think a lot of people in their book does come out and they're posting about it to social media. It's a lot of buy my book, buy my book, by the way, did I ask you to buy my book? You know, can you say a little bit about that that (laughs) strategy and maybe (laughs) offer some alternatives? (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I don't know what the alternatives are. So when I published my first book, right? If the support that I saw on social media was represented with book sales, it would have been a very different outcome in those first few weeks, right? And it didn't happen. And I remember feeling quite disappointed. Mm. And so when I published Uncommon Courage, I made sure that I was ready for that because people out there, to they're not out there to hurt you. But if you rely on your on the people closest to you, especially right now, people are very distracted, people have lost their jobs, people are in all sorts of situations, right? You can't rely on people to splurge on your book, right? Especially if they're just not reading. (laughs) I buy all my friends' books. I just buy them. You know, (laughs) I might never read them, but I buy them because I know what it takes to publish a book, right? Uh, But it's not just the buying of the book. It's posting a review on Amazon or Goodreads or anywhere else. It's sharing something on social media about what the book meant to you. It's all that sort of stuff. And it's a hard thing to ask. And I'm very subtle. I, I'm, by the way, I got 300 books published and sent them out to all my friends myself rather mm-hmm. than asking them to buy them mm-hmm. because I just felt more comfortable doing it that way. But I can't say that that strategy has worked either because most of them are still silent on social media. <laughs> and then I reach out to some friends and they haven't even read it yet. And I'm like, ah. So the best thing you can do is spend some good marketing money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've spent some money on getting some podcast interviews in the U.S., I've spent some money with a company called Booktrip, get the professional reviews done, which do cost money because someone's got to spend the time to read the book. So just invest the money where you think 
it is most wisely spent. What did you say? Book trip? Book trip, T-R-I-B dot com. So they're probably very close to you, actually, in, they're just in the area. Fantastic organisation. They get the book in front of book clubs and Instagram influencers. So it's a good marketing strategy. I'm still haven't got the results from it yet, but mm-hmm. I've enjoyed working with them. So there's a have a look around. There's a lot of different things that you can do, but I think it's important to you've got to have some extra money if you want to be a success. You've got to have some extra money to to spend. And if you know anyone famous, or if you know anyone that knows somebody famous, if you can get it into their hands, maybe that can help. That hasn't worked for me yet, but you know, keep trying. Uh, yeah you certainly learn a lot you do but i think it was jack welsh said if you sell two books you're already a success Uh, only two did you know that i did not (laughs) considering how much money you spend putting a book together yeah two's not enough (laughs) i don't know that i buy that (laughs) but you know i think that getting the book into the right hands you know you might not need to sell if it could lead to a big consulting gig or something like that. So but I, I do think that it's you have to be mindful about how you give those books away too because you don't want to devalue the book. But, yeah, I mean, you've got to try different things and it's got to be in alignment with you and, and your personal values. And, like, I'm not a pushing people to buy my book kind of person, you know, where I am. People say, can I get a copy of your book? How much do I owe you? I'm like, please donate to charity. Yeah. Like, I've already bought the books. Just donate right. to charity. There's so many people struggling here. I'd rather the money goes towards them, right? So if you can go into it not as a money-making enterprise, like you said, it can attract professional contracts. There's lots of different ways a book can be used, and it's not necessarily just sales. Yeah. So the right people, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, Andrea, I cannot believe we are at the top of our hour or the bottom of our half hour or whatever you want to say. <laughs> I know. I just want to thank you so much for just all the incredible value and wonderful insights that you shared with us here today on The Author's Corner. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate having the opportunity to speak to you and been really nice meeting you as well. Me as well. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.